Okay, there it is. And, uh, um, but I appreciate Pastor Mates as well and his flexibility and allowing us to really schedule at our convenience. Uh, it was difficult after planning for over a year uh, in advance for furlough. We had 52 meetings scheduled uh, between uh, April and October. And uh, then to see COVID-19 hit and all of that change. Uh, and so what we had to do, we canceled the first half of our furlough. Uh, and then with the last cap, we couldn't leave it the way it was and do what we needed to do as far as seeing family uh, and also getting by Bible colleges. That was part of our uh, desire when we were back is to see Bible colleges. Kaylee graduated from high school this past year. Uh, and so, uh, and then report to churches as well. Uh, but I appreciate the flexibility of all the pastors that helped us to do that. And your pastor was one of those. So I just want to say personal thank you. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4 is a text that uh, we've already read um, this morning. And so as we come to uh, this story, Moses, the servant of God, uh, he's about 120 years old, uh, is preparing Israel to go in and enter into uh, the promised land. The term promised land comes from uh, what we looked at this morning and the promise that God gave to Abraham that uh, he would make him uh, a mighty uh, nation. In Genesis 12, verse 6, Abraham passed through the land unto the place of uh, Sikkim, unto the plain of Morah, and the Canaanite was then in the land. That was the land of Canaan. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord uh, who appeared unto him. And God did not forget the promise that he gave to Abraham in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 8. Uh, it's the story of the burning bush and the call of Moses to be the deliverer. Uh, it says, And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large unto a land flowing uh, with milk and honey. And so uh, Moses, the deliverer, is raised up. Now uh, it's gotten to the point where it's time to go in and enter into that promised land. And that great servant of God is going to help them not to just get uh, possession of that land, but to maintain uh, possession of that land. And the key is not military might or military strategy. The key uh, is very simply keeping their heart right uh, with God. And so Moses begins this chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 4, reminding them of the seriousness of God's law. It says in verse 1, Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you, for to do them, that you may live, and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. You shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, uh, which I command you. And so they weren't to uh, add to the word of God. They were, were neither uh, to, to uh, subtract uh, from the word of God. And if you think about the dangers of that, if you look at the first sin that ever took place, both those things took place. Someone uh, took away from God's law. Somebody added uh, to God's law. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 2, Eve added to God's law when she said, uh, The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And she added to the word of God. God had said, Don't eat of it. But she said, uh, She felt like God was restrictive. God has uh, said that we can't even touch it, uh, lest we die. Satan, of course, took away from the word of God. And verse 4, The serpent said unto the woman, uh, Ye shall not surely die. And so there's a great danger uh, when the word of God uh, is tampered with. 
And God's law has uh, serious consequences to those that would violate the law. And so Moses speaks about that in verse 3 uh, when he says, Your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peor. For all the men that followed Baal Peor, the Lord thy God hath destroyed them from among you. And so he's got an illustration for them that they can well remember of what God did because men violated uh, God's law. It's the story of Baal Peor, and it's the king of Moab, uh, Balak, hiring Balaam to, uh, to curse Israel. And, of course, uh, Balaam, as he tries to curse Israel, he's not able to do that. God doesn't allow uh, him to say anything but what God uh, desires him to say. And so Balaam counseled Balak, this false prophet counseled this king and said, uh, you know, seduce Israel into a sexual sin, and then that will take and put God's anger upon them. And so that's what takes place. And the Bible says in Numbers 25, verse 1, Israel bowed in, in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called uh, the people unto the sacrifice of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, Take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay ye every one his men that were joined unto Baal uh, Peor. And so Moses begins with, God's law is serious. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. And by the way, remember Baal Peor and, and the severity with which God dealt with those that violated his law. He has that illustration, but he has a second illustration. That's the illustration that even he, Moses, because he got angry and he struck the rock, even he would not be allowed to go into that land. And so verses 21 and 22, verse 22, uh, he tells them, but I must die in this land. I must not go over Jordan. And as we come to kind of our main idea of what uh, we'll consider this morning is what is also found in verse 22, and it's what Moses is really uh, leading up to and what Moses is going to instruct them on, and that is how they can maintain possession of the land. It says in verse 22, But ye shall go up over and possess that good land. Moses wanted them to succeed. Moses wanted them to have God's blessing. He wanted them to be in that place where, uh, I mean, it was going to be so good for them as they entered into that land. Uh, if they maintained possession, all their enemies would be defeated. If they maintained possession, God would provide for them. It, to be dispossessed of the land was to be defeated and separated from God's blessing. And so he's going to give them instruction in this text that would help them to maintain possession of that land. And so my message this morning is possess that good land. Possess that good land. Maintain possession of that good land. Our text, uh, as has been read this morning, is Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 23 uh, through verse 31. And as you think about it this morning, we can ask some questions about our uh, living in that land. And I understand this morning, we're not Israel. Uh, that was a theocracy. Uh, that was a nation that was guided by God. And I'll say this about Scotland, because as I read this passage, I think about a nation that was a Christian nation that did have the blessing of God, that no longer uh, have the blessing of God. As a people, we can look at America and, and think the same way. We're not a theocracy. There is a, there is a difference. But I think we can look at it and say, you know what? But there are truths that we can glean from this idea 
of possessing a good land that we could apply to our lives as a people of God. And so the questions would be like this. Are you living where your enemies are defeated? Am I living in that place, possessing the good land where my enemies are defeated, where God is blessing and providing uh, for me? Or have we been dispossessed from that blessing of what God really intends to give? Jesus said, I, I've come to give them life, and I've come to give them life more abundantly. There's abundant life that uh, we can have as we possess the good land that God intends us to have as believers. And so let's pray. Ask the Spirit of God to help us as we come to the Word of God this morning. Father, we thank you uh, for your grace to us. Father, we thank you for your interest in the good things that we possess. Even as we looked at the promise of God uh, to Abraham, as we see that fulfilled uh, in the children of Israel. But Father, I pray that the Spirit of God would speak to our hearts this morning, that we would be in a place of uh, your blessing. And Father, as I already shared uh, by way of testimony and, and by way of prayer earlier, I, I can't speak without your enablement. And Father, we can't listen without your enablement. And so Father, I pray that you give us ears to hear. I pray that the word of the God would have free course. And Father, I pray as I prayed this morning, I pray that you'd help me to preach biblically. Father, help me to preach practically. Help me to preach lovingly. And Father, by your grace, I pray, help me to preach powerfully the truth of the word of God. And Father, speak to my heart and speak to our hearts this morning through your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. And so, uh, possessing the good land, the land that God intends us uh, to possess. And, and so the first thing I want us to consider this morning is if you are in the land, be careful. If you're in the land, be careful. It says in verse 23, take heed unto yourself. In other words, if you get into that place of uh, the promised land, take heed unto yourself. Be careful. Sadly, uh, and it seems illogical, but sadly in the land of blessing and prosperity as God would uh, be giving them all these good things, it would be an easy thing to turn away from God. Deuteronomy 6 verse 10 says, And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. When you get into that place of, of blessing and, and things are going well, then beware, lest you forget where that blessing came from. It's like a child that uh, is, is learning to ride a bike, and you, you take that child out, and, and, and uh, we call them... Uh, trying to think what we call it in Scotland, the, 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 the wheels on the side of the bike, the trainers that you put on, and, and uh, as that child is riding that bike, and, and things seem to be going so well, and then they beg you, they say, take, take them off, you know, I'm ready to go, and uh, you, you take them off, and, and then they crash, and, and very quickly they're begging you to please uh, put those stabilizers uh, back on so that they can uh, do it again because they didn't realize that that was the thing that was helping them uh, to succeed. You know, human nature, sadly, very quickly be begins to lack dependence upon God. It begins to think that I'm doing it on my own and it's, it's going uh, so very well 
And, uh, and so the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. And so Moses warns the people as he get ready to go into this land of blessing uh, to be careful. And so as he does that, he tells them to remember God's covenant. To remember God's covenant. In verse 23, it says, Lest ye forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you. A covenant, again, is a very precious binding uh, agreement. Our, uh, in the video tonight, you'll see uh, a young lady, Rebecca, that got married uh, from our church in, in Scotland. She married a young man, and uh, a Christian young man, and it was a great thing to see them uh, enter into that uh, covenant relationship with one another. And there's a precious uh, responsibility given to somebody that uh, is married as they enter into that covenant relationship that they're going to be faithful to that spouse that they have agreed uh, before God to uh, love and cherish that one person. And we know adultery is the breaking of that covenant, and yet the Bible speaks about those that would be unfaithful to God's covenant. God calls it spiritual adultery. James uh, names it as that in James chapter 4, verse 4, when it says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world uh, is the enemy of God. And so somebody that wants to stay faithful to God and have the blessing of God in the land of promise is somebody that uh, is very careful to remember that I'm in a covenant relationship with God. That I have entered into a binding agreement with God and that uh, I need to be faithful to that agreement. And so remember God's covenant. And then remember God's law. Verse 23 says, Lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God which he made with you and make you a graven image or the likeness of anything which the Lord thy God hath forbidden thee. You get, when you get into the land of promise, be very careful that you don't enter into uh, idolatry. Idolatry would break their covenant with God. And as you look at the Ten Commandments, the first two commandments that God gave are commands against idolatry. In Exodus 20, verse 1, God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of thy, the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. God, God is a very merciful God. Uh, and yet, but God says, you're to love me and me alone and honor me and me alone. And if we stop this morning, I, I doubt uh, very much this morning that anybody in here would say, yes, you know, I've got idols that are in my house, little statues of Buddha or little, uh, you know, uh, Hindu gods or something like that. And yet, as, as we consider it, we, we have to think about uh, what an idol is. An idol is anything that steals my heart away from God. So it's something that men honor and obey instead of God. In other words, it's something that tells me what to do. And, and when it tells me what to do, I, I do that uh, despite what God says to do. It's something that takes God's place. Something that, you know, gets in that place of priority uh, and it's not God. 
It's something that controls uh, men's actions. You know, and uh, they're compelled to uh, follow that. It's something that is dearer to man than God. And so as we consider that this morning, remember the covenant that you have, but then remember God's law. God's law is against idolatry. Idolatry is something that creeps in and steals my heart away from God. It could be family. And if we stop and apply those ideas to family, do, you, do I obey family or do I obey uh, God? Have they taken God's place? Do they control my actions? Are they dearer uh, to me than God? Because Jesus said in Matthew 10, 37, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Why did, why did Jesus have to say that? He had to say that because sometimes family can become uh, more important to somebody than God. And that there is obeying of, of family rather than, and honoring of family rather than obeying and honoring of God. It could be work. And uh, so many times, you know, work uh, is important. God's commanded us to provide for our families. And that's a responsibility that God has uh, given to us as men. And yet, uh, so many times that work can come between us and uh, God. Like the man who said in Luke 14, verse 19, another said, I, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. There was a, an opportunity to go and, and follow uh, God and obey God, and yet that person looked at what they were doing, and it, it's more important to them to do work than to follow God. It could be sin that is a cherished sin, like the Bible speaks about in Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And, and an unwillingness to break with that sin and, and deal with that sin and get victory over that sin. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. It could be so many things. It could be hobbies, pleasures, entertainment, sports, digital devices, and all the technology that gets in our lives today. And yet the Bible says in Luke 9, 23, he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And it may not be something that we look at and say, well, that's sinful, you know, to like that sport or to participate in that sport or to do that thing. Yet that thing is the thing that is keeping us from being uh, what God intends us to be. We honor that instead of honoring God. It's an idol that has crept into our life. And so as Moses wants him to go into that land, possess the good land, have it uh, going so well, he reminds him, look, you're in a covenant relationship with God. Do not let anything into your life that would come between you and God. If you're in the land, be careful. So remember God's covenant, remember God's law, and then remember God's power. Verse 24 says, For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire. The Lord thy God is a consuming fire. Uh, the Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we look at that, and that's kind of an odd idea, isn't it? But it's that, it's that reality that there is a fear of God in awesome respect uh, from the all, for the Almighty. That is, that is a bit of uh, a terror in the sense of understanding the awesome uh, power of God. And so as Moses spoke to them about our, the Lord our God, thy God is a consuming fire, I think Israel uh, is thinking back to some experiences they had with God that had to do with God being a fire. Mount Sinai. Exodus 19, verse 17, Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the nether part of the mount. 
And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. And I think it would be easy for us today to have the idea that God is like a Santa Claus that uh, is jolly uh, and, and just uh, this uh, very simplistic idea of a very uh, uh, benign uh, person. And yet the Bible says very clearly that God is a consuming fire. God is an awesome God. God is an incredibly powerful God. They would think back to the pillar of fire that they followed in the wilderness. Exodus 13, verse 21, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them uh, the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. And God visually was in front of them as a fire. And they'd think back to the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, that offered false and strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded not. And in Leviticus 10, verse 2, says, There went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. My dad had an object lesson for us as children that would uh, teach us not to play with fire. Uh, and that was to take the Christmas tree out uh, after Christmas and to, uh, you know, dry, very dry Christmas tree and strike a match and to light that tree on fire. And I remember well that that tree would just well, whoosh, you know, as it would go up in flame. Fire is an awesome power. Fire is a, uh, a fearful power. And Moses would remind them, look, you're going into this land, it's going to be, it's going to be great, but in that place of blessing, be careful. Remember God's covenant, remember God's law, and remember God's power. And then he reminds them as well, he says, remember God's jealousy. As you're being careful of the land, remember that God is a jealous God, as it says in our text, that he's a consuming fire, uh, even a jealous God. You might have a young person. We were just at Ambassador with Rachel and Nate uh, Metcalf, and many of you would know them from their time here. Uh, but, uh, you know, they're at a, a college campus. Uh, somebody might come up and say, you know, I'm dating somebody. You know, if they say that, you don't say to them, well, uh, how many are you dating, right? <laughs> there's an there's a exclusivity about a dating relationship. Even that's not even marriage. But you understand that if you're dating somebody, that is, there is an exclusivity uh, to that. And that rightly, somebody that, you know, is dating somebody expects that they're not going to be dating somebody else. And certainly in a marriage, you understand that there would be an intense hatred for somebody that would get into that marriage relationship and lead the heart of that spouse away from that other spouse. So, again, it's adultery. But there would be a jealousy that would be there in the heart of that person for their spouse. <laughs> Proverbs 6, verse 34 says, For jealousy is the rage of a man... Therefore, he will not spare in the day of vengeance. And the Bible tells us about God that God is not okay with us loving other things. He is not okay with our heart going away from him, that he is jealous of that relationship with him. And so Moses reminds them of that. Remember, he says, God's covenant, God's law. Remember God's power. Remember that God is a, a jealous God. And then he says, remember God's knowledge. You can almost see an Israelite thinking as they heard uh, these words from Moses that, okay, I get God's covenant, God's law, uh, God's power, that God is a jealous God, but you know, it's just a little sin. Maybe it's possible that God won't really uh, know about this sin. And so Moses says in verse 25, when thou shalt beget children, 
and children's children. And you shall have remained long in the land and shall corrupt yourselves and make a graven image or the likeness of anything and shall, notice the words, do evil in the sight of the Lord thy God to provoke him to anger. And so Moses says about God, not only is he a, a jealous God uh, and a consuming fire, but he is a God that is omnipresent. He is a God uh, that is um, omniscient. So therefore, he is a God that is aware of everything that is taking place in your life. Hagar had a good name for God with this re regard. In Genesis 16, verse 13, she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. But she, she said, have, have I also here looked after him that seeth me? What a great name for God. Your God's aware this morning. There's not anything in my life that God isn't aware of today, that not anything in your life that uh, God doesn't see that uh, somehow can be hidden any more than uh, ache and sin uh, could be hidden from God, that God is absolutely aware of that. And so they're in the land. And Moses says, be careful, right? Be careful. Why? Because of uh, God's uh, covenant. Remember God's covenant. Remember God's law. Remember God's power. Remember God is a jealous God. And remember God's knowledge. And you know what? If we lived in a place like that, uh, that is going to keep us in the land of blessing. Because we're going to be very careful in our walk with God. But then secondly, so if you're in the land, be careful. But if you are departing from the land... Be concerned. If you're departing from the land, be concerned. There ought to be uh, a, a concern about that because someone could hear the truth Moses shared and, and, and not take it to heart. They could just think like this, right? I'll just stay in the land. I don't have to be that careful about the covenant and my relationship with God is going to be okay. And yet Moses wants to know, look, uh, if, you're departing, uh, if you're departing the land, you ought to be concerned. And so your departure begins as soon as you depart from God. In verse 25, it says, When thou shalt beget children, and children's children, and you shall have remained long in the land, and shall corrupt yourselves, and make a graven image or the likeness of anything, and shall do evil in the sight of the Lord thy God to provoke him to anger. And so the departure begins as soon as they depart from God. They can no longer... Stay in that place of uh, God's blessing. And so Moses says that, look, heaven and earth is witness against you that you are departing from that land of blessing and you won't be able to stop it. Verse 26 says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you shall soon utterly perish from off the land whereunto you go over Jordan to possess it. Ye shall not prolong your days upon it, but shall utterly be destroyed. They could be in that land of blessing saying, it's going so well and I can just uh, stay here in this place. But as soon as their heart departed from God, then they ceased to have everything they needed to stay in the land. And again, they could become uh, self-confident and think that I, I'm here. And yet uh, Moses tells them, look, it's not going to work. It's not going to happen. You can't stay in that place of blessing and let that into your life and be separated from God and continue to expect that God is going to uh, meet your needs. And so uh, Moses is already recording the word of God uh, that uh, Israel cannot stand with God as, as in Deuteronomy chapter 4 or 1 and verse 42. As he's recounting the story of what everything that has taken place 
uh, to get them into this place where they're going into the land. He reminds them of the failure the first time as they sought to go in. In verse 42, it says, The Lord said unto me, Say unto them, Go not up, neither fight, for I'm not among you, lest you be smitten before your enemies. So I spake unto you, and you would not hear, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord, and went presumptuously up into the hill. And the Amorites, which dwelt in that mountain, came out against you, and chased you, as bees do, and destroyed you in Seir, even unto Hormah. And so they could go back and remember that without God, they couldn't. They couldn't uh, defeat uh, the enemies. And so this morning, as we think about it, we can't raise godly families without God. We can't have a a God-blessed church without God. We can't have a strong uh, evangelism or anything without God. And sadly, God would be behind their departure. Verse 27 says, And the Lord shall scatter you among the nations, and you shall be left few in number among the heathen, whither the Lord shall lead you. I mean, here they were, the, the people of God, and it was going, it would be going so well as they entered into the land of promise, but then as they would depart from God, they would lose all the blessing of God. And their false gods would not be able to help them. It says in verse 28, And there you shall serve gods, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see, nor hear, nor eat, nor smell. You've heard the saying, it was like talking to a rock. I mean, that would be it for them. They, they would think, well, I mean, this is working okay, and we've got our idols, but... Uh, but they would be warned that those idols would not meet it. They wouldn't get it done. It wouldn't be uh, what they needed to maintain possession of the land. You know, somebody who say, maybe they're a Christian and things are going so well and they've experienced the blessing of God, but they begin to turn their heart away from God. They could think, my music is going to meet my need. My entertainment's going to meet my need. My hobbies are going to meet my need. My pleasure is going to meet my need, but it's not going to meet the need. It's going to be empty without the blessing of God. And so Moses would say uh, to them, you know what? If you're departing the land, be concerned. Because that's not where the blessing is. And so, if you're in the land, be careful. If you're departing the land, be concerned. And then lastly, if you're out of of the land, be converted. And this is the mercy of God. I love, it's, it's a little bit negative until we get to this point. But at this point, you see the mercy of God. And there could be a generation gap here. It could be that, you know, the grandkids get away from God, the great-grandkids get away from God, but that there's hope. Or it could be somebody that uh, gets into sin and and gets away from God, but there's hope to get back uh, to God. And so conversion is possible. If you're out of the land, be converted. Conversion is possible when far away from God. Conversion is possible when far away from God. You can find God. It says in verse 29, But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. All right, you get to that point and you go, you know what? I'm out of the place of blessing. I am not living where God is honored, where God is pleased. Idols have come into my life, uh, and I am just not experiencing the good grace of God because my iniquities have separated between me and my God. Yet conversion is possible 
went far away from God because we can find God. It says in verse 29, But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. Again, you get to that place where you feel like, man, I'm just far away from God. But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. A lot of times kids, uh, men will often say this as well, but uh, kids might say something like, I can't find it, right? And, and you'll say to them something like, what, have you looked? Well, or how have you looked? You know, and they, and they to be honest, they haven't really uh, tried that hard to find it. Well, uh, I, I, we meet people that say something like, I'll find out about God when I get there. You know, but they haven't actually sought God, but God is findable. But only if we diligently seek him. It says, if thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. If that person in that position, whatever that position is, away from God, if they'll say, look, I'm going to get serious. I'm going to get in the word of God. I'm going to get in prayer. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to give myself to seeking after God. The Bible gives us encouragement. If you seek him, you'll find him. But only if you diligently seek him. And then conversion is possible when things are really bad. It says in verse 30, when thou art in tribulation and all these things are come upon thee. I mean, life is going to get rough. You get out of the land of blessing and all of a sudden the chastening of God or, or, or the judgment of God or just the lack of the blessing of God is going to wake you up to, wow, it's tough. But conversion is possible when things are really bad. Again, sometimes I meet people and they'll say something like this. I don't want to get right with God just because things in my life are really tough. But you know, a lot of times God will let somebody go through something that is really difficult to bring them to the point of conversion. Look at the Apostle Paul and, and his conversion. He's struck blind uh, by God as he's confronted by God about his sin and his uh, wayward life against God. He was a murderer of Christians. The Philippian jailer uh, is at the point of suicide. He's about ready to take his life just as, as uh, he gets saved. Got Jonah uh, and uh, the judgment of God against Jonah. And from the belly of hell, he cries out to God from that fish's belly and finds God's mercy. But praise God, I can say to anybody today, uh, no matter where you are in your life, how far away you are from God, look and how rough your life is because of your sin and things that you've done against God, that there is opportunity for you to get right with God because God is a merciful God. And let that bring you to him. And then conversion is possible even in the latter days. It says, When thou art in tribulation and all these things are come upon thee, even in the latter days. Have you ever had a, a coupon that was no good anymore? <laughs> you get up and you're going to pay and it's no good. It's disappointing because uh, you were going to purchase that with it. Aren't you thankful that uh, salvation doesn't have an end date on it? Amen. I mean, that God is able today, no matter who somebody is, no matter where uh, they're at in their life, if there's breath, there's hope that they can uh, turn to God like the thief on the cross, even at the very end of his life, and, and say, Lord, remember me in paradise. And Jesus would say, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. Praise God, conversion is possible, even in the latter days. And then conversion is possible... If somebody is ready to follow God, if somebody's ready to give in, if somebody's ready to say, okay, uh, about those idols, I will turn back to God. It says, if thou turn to the Lord thy God, 
and shalt be obedient unto his voice. Conversion is possible if that person's willing to say, hey, those things that uh, habit, those uh, that sin didn't satisfy, it's wrecking my life, it's destroying my life, it's taking me away from God. I'm ready to take that, put that aside. I want to follow God. Then it's possible to get right with God if we'll so deal with our uh, what has taken us away from God. And then lastly, conversion is possible because God is merciful. Verse 31, for the Lord thy God is a merciful God. He will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers, which he swear unto them. Conversion is possible because God's a merciful God. And even though Moses was saying, look, God is a serious God about sin. God is totally against idolatry. You're in a covenant relationship with God and, and maintain that, be guarded in that. Yet if you find yourself away from God, Moses said, I want you to remember that in that place you can get back to God and get right with God. And so if you're out of the land, be converted. And as I look at this passage, I'm reminded that, you know what, we're not guaranteed a close walk with God. And we're not guaranteed the blessing of God. And we take for granted the things that we have as Christians. And we think that uh, we, get, we can very easily and very quickly lose our dependence upon God. We can easily lose the next generation and the generations following. Unless we do what Moses said, and that is guard our relationship with God. And if we find ourselves away from God, get back to God because God is where the blessing is. So may God just remind us of that this morning. Let's pray and ask God's blessing upon his word. Father, we thank you for your goodness. And Father, I pray that the Spirit of God just make us desire in our heart to say, by the grace of God, I just want to stay so close to God. Well, Father, if there's idols in our life, help us not to be deceived. I pray you give us insight into what those things are that have stolen away our affection from you, that are things that you'd be jealous about as a consuming fire. And Father, sin is not okay. And so I pray that we be quick to uh, deal with our sin. If there's something specific in our hearts this morning that the Spirit of God puts his finger upon, then I pray, Father, in your mercy, that we take that, confess that, forsake that. Father, it might be that somebody's here this morning, they're not saved. And Father, their life is against God. Your life is rough because they don't know God in a personal way. Father, we pray today would be the day of their salvation, that they receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.